0: podcast the weekly coaching clinic that you can carry around with you in your pocket we are at interview episode number 29 with my good friend jerome skirdla of gretna high school one of the the legends in the state of nebraska well over 500 wins jerome do you know exactly how many wins you do have i was trying to find that and i couldn't find it um let me see uh i just
1: don't i think it's um Somewhere around 560. I don't know for sure.
0: Okay. All right. Uh, but you're, you're way up there anyway. You got to be about top five. You got to be pushing that, aren't you? Uh, could be. Yeah. I know that.
1: Um, it, I truthfully don't keep track of that a lot. I, uh, it's kind of one of those things, I guess, when I uh, get out, I'll look back
0: on it someday and see that that was more important, but I <laughs> never paid much attention to it. Uh, well, ask your wife. <laughs> and, and 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 i'm sure she's got the number somewhere tabulated I mean, that's, so that's- so, uh, but Jerome Skirdle from Gretna High School. Uh, but before we get going with Coach, uh, we want to recognize our sponsor for this episode, Cosack Chiropractic, located at 144th and Maple here in Omaha. Coaches, if you have an athlete who is struggling with b- uh, balanced neck or spinal issues, have them go see COSAC Chiropractic. You can check out their practice at Cosack Chiro. That's K-O-S-A-K-C-H-I-R-O.com. Or give them a call at 402 964 Be sure to let them know that a pen and a napkin sent you. Follow us on Twitter at A Pen and a Napkin. Coach Skirdla is following us there. Um, Just search Pen and a Napkin, and there we are. We try to have daily coaching tidbits on A Pen and a Napkin, so be sure to follow us there. Obviously, if you're listening, you're on SoundCloud or iTunes. Download, rate, review. uh, Give us five stars. Pass this along. Forward the links to to whomever you would like. Uh, The whole uh, gist of this is to try and make coaches better and help them uh, get better as coaches. And last but certainly not least, if you have any questions, uh, feel free to email us a pen and a napkin at gmail.com. Uh, questions, comments, suggestions, ideas, uh, please let us know. I actually, reach. I had a had a Foundation Friday uh, podcast the other day, and had a couple of people reach out to me on some stuff that I talked about there. So uh, definitely let me know. So, Coach, all is well in Sarpy County for for. The time uh, for, for today, anyway? Well, we're
1: certainly facing different times than we've ever faced before as far as having uh, school closed and, and uh, uh, just the different you know challenges facing the school districts and, and sports teams and everything. So it's certainly uh, a different time
0: yeah. for us. But, yes, as far as uh,
1: school and, and uh, everything, and family, everything's going well.
0: Good, good. Yeah. Um, well, let's jump in here. I know I know a lot about you. Uh, we faced off once or twice in our careers. Um, and, uh, you know, you've been nice enough to let me break bread with your family a couple of times as well. So, uh, you know, just uh, for the folks that don't know a, a whole lot about Jerome Skirdla, you know, fill him in. How did you end up at, at Gretna High School?
1: Oh, I started out as a Catholic back in... Uh would have been seventy-seven in the fall. I was coaching football and and track at that time, and I coached that for a few years or for several years there. But uh, about my third or fourth year in, I uh, uh, started helping out a little bit with basketball just on a volunteer basis, and and it turned out that they needed needed an assistant coach, and so I stepped in at that point, and, and I took over. and a year or two later, the priest that was the head coach ended up leaving, and so I took over as the head coach and, and uh, uh, we had some good success out there. I was there until 87 and then I left, went to Fort Calhoun, was at Fort Calhoun for, um, about seven years. And, uh, we had, again, built up pretty good success there. And then, uh, the position at Gretton opened up and, and uh, looking for a change in the teaching area and that, mm-hmm. uh, went there and, um. Became a technology coordinator and, and uh, again stayed with the girls basketball and, and so uh, I've been coaching there ever since.
0: Gotcha. Um, was it something for uh, for you to to get to the Omaha area, or was it just that's where the jobs were and that's where you kind of followed?
1: Um, it was kind of a family decision. Uh, my wife was a special ed teacher and, and uh, um, at the, that time there really wasn't a lot in the Kearney area mm-hmm. for her on that. Uh, there was a position opened up in Millard. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so the chance for both of us to move this direction, uh, and, and, uh, have jobs was something that seemed appealing. And so we, uh, jumped ship and, and uh, uh, moved to the metro area and, And really was, you know, not any major goal in mind. It was
0: just, you know, looked like a great opportunity for both of us to have have maybe a a good situation. Yeah. How, uh, you know, I I did some math here, and this is history teacher math, so this is a little bit shaky. I'll be the first one to admit it. Uh, But if you started in 77 and it's 2020, you've been coaching for, I'm just going to go over 40 years. All right. Uh, well, we won't we won't put an exact number on it. How about that? So uh, but, uh, you know, you've done this for for a long time. Uh, you know, what are the and I, and I know there's a drastic amount of changes that have happened uh, to girls basketball. And we'll kind of focus on girls basketball. Uh, okay. but what but what are what are the, you know, perhaps the two, three, four uh, biggest changes that you've seen? Uh, from the beginning of your career, uh, being a high school coach, to now today in 2020?
1: Well, obviously the talent, and maybe it's just uh, a little more noticeable when you're uh, moved up to Class A and you're watching those teams play, but the talent level uh, that's in the state, especially this year, um, I think there was something mentioned of over 20 girls that are Division One players
0: yeah. in the state
1: on there. And, and uh, that type of talent uh, is, has been an incredible watch on there. And um, then you go the speed of the game is so much faster than what it used to be in the level of skill for the development of three-point shooting but uh the speed of the ball handling that the girls do uh, would be the second thing and i'd say the physical aspect is probably another thing that um, has been significant Um, and again maybe notice a little bit more in class they do in other classes because be a post player inside game in class uh in class A, it is really difficult because mm-hmm. it is such a physical game in there. On the perimeter I don't notice it as much, but on the inside post play, which is something I always try to base a lot on, uh that has certainly changed in the fact that we're looking now at you know i've truthfully kinda of changed my philosophy of play on it just because uh it is so physical that you really uh, it's really difficult to uh, go back to just the uh, post play, post up game that we kind of have had for so many years.
0: What, what have you, uh, what have you, what have you changed?
1: Well, nothing to this point. But our plans after being in Class A for a year was to really start to move toward just a lot more movement. Uh, you know, rather than just doing a post-up, you know, low post, like a four-game type post-up, to now um, addressing a uh, or creating, you know, looking at offenses that will allow your post to do just more movement, whether it's stepping out to a five-game, whether it's uh, on ball screen. And then, you know, the rolling. Well, just trying to find something that will fit the personnel that we have and uh, still uh, provide for some uh, – post-up opportunities, but not just a deal where you can just sit there and, and kind of pound it in type mm-hmm. deal. But unless you're a tremendous post. And there were a couple in the state this year. I mean, the uh, was some girl at Papayan was that way, the girl from the uh-huh. uh, west side. There were a couple in the state that could just do that, but yeah. they were few and far between.
0: Yeah, Markowski. Um, you Markowski know, he, I mean definitely one. Yeah, yeah, definitely a player. And, and uh,
1: just rare talent like that. Yeah. It would be yeah, three players, and and we didn't have anybody of that stature. I mean, and we have a nice post player, and I, I think she would have been very strong in a Class B world. But in the Class A, it was just very difficult to do it. And maybe it's just a learning curve on my part of how to um, work it better. But to this one it seemed like it was extremely difficult to be able to, at, you know, to play those offenses that we used to play so well.
0: Mm-hmm. Um. So I was you know I was gonna talk about this a, a little bit later but let's let's jump into it since you kind of uh, brought it up you know for a long time Gretna was just kind of this little bedroom community you know southwest of Omaha kind of out on their own little Gretna Island kind of the the Madagascar to to Africa uh, the you know uh, out there and and you built a tremendous program uh, you know and 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 really, uh, especially for the last uh, ten to twelve years or so, just one of the dominant Class B powers, and and then too many people found out about your little island out there in, in Sarpy County, and and now you've gone from kind of this Class B power to one of the the smaller Class As, and and the math is we've talked about this a couple of times the math is is not going to change too much even if you guys open up another high school both of the high schools would probably be class A isn't that probably yeah, that's, what, that's what it
1: looks like at this point
0: yeah and because uh, we will hit close to 1,600
1: uh, students in our high school next year wow and at that point you're still three years away from heaven weather high school I think the anticipated time of the bond issue passes next fall would be the year two thousand twenty four and so you're you're going to be very bursting at the seams. So it's uh, very likely we'll be two class A schools at that point and two small class A, which is kind of the unfortunate part that you, uh, you don't know that you'll ever catch up to the size yeah. you know, of the bigger schools, but it is a nice size in school to be in it academically. Yeah. It does give kids a lot of opportunities. So there are mixed feelings of it.
0: Sure. So, you, you you kind of talked about adjusting to the physicality and 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 your post play uh what are some other things and 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 it's like you said you know you came in at this time where you know this senior class or you know class a in general i i think i don't know what you think Jerome but in my 18 years in nebraska i think this was the deepest most athletic most talented class a field i've ever seen this past year
1: Oh, I definitely thought so. I mean, it was, you know, in the, in the past when we used to play, because we used to play a lot of Class A in the summer and run into a lot of them, you, usually there were five or six Class A schools that really stood out. And then pretty much everybody else, even as a Class B school, you could really compete with them. And, yep. and uh, that uh, this year, I know talking to Coach Pissota over at uh, Pius, he mentioned that he says there were 12 or 13 teams that were all very solid teams in the state. There were only probably two or three that were kind of at the lower end in you know, yeah. there, and that's what we found. I mean, you know, even on the middle of the road teams, you know, because we played, you know, west Side to a close game in and, and there. We played, you know, the Millard North the overtime. We played uh, Papaya and those teams to overtime, and so we're right there. And you'd watch those, well, then they'd go knock off the number one team, and yeah. and that was just really. You know a year where uh, extremely talented players
0: across the board. Yeah. So you kind of got the double whammy here. Not only are you making this jump, but you're making a jump during the most, you know, the you know perhaps the deepest uh, field that Class A has ever put out there. What are uh, what are some other things that that you've learned over the last year or two um, that have been? You know, these are these are adjustments we need to make in our program. Um these are adjustments I need to make as a coach. Uh these are things that I've learned that have made me a better coach going through this process. Well,
1: um I've always been a coach that I feel I learn a lot every year and uh whether it's just with other coaches I've always been one that's kind of been I'd like to think a student of the game uh, and going to clinics consistently and trying to keep up and uh it was a year where you know you you kind of go back to some things you've gone in the past and say, "Okay, we can still do this." I was worried a lot about the physicality and the guard positions and that. And as we went through, um, I didn't find that to be as difficult to manage there. So we did a lot of things in the fall trying to prepare for physical, whether it was just you know more aggressive getting up, you know, face of players, uh, more intensive defensive drills, and um, uh, those things. I think we were okay. We were ready for it. So that was one of the pleasant surprises you kind of found. Cause we, again, felt we, our guards could handle a lot of what they saw. Um, shooting wise, it's difficult to get open. And that's the one thing you kind of find that, uh, you, you, unless you have a guard that can break people down or you have an offense, that's kind of designed of breaking people down, it is more difficult to get your shooters open. And that was one of the things. And, and, uh, we ran our flex stuff, and we did open up some things with uh, our flex stuff, and we did some other uh, types of offenses. Um, but we really thought coming in that again a four game type deal where you could go inside out would work. But we had to have we had to modify that to try to create different ways to get the inside out kick for the three point shots, and then the speed of the shooting for your shooters, we really had to work a lot on that, and so those were a couple things, like I said, trying to get a better attack to the rim and uh, finish against more physical play when you got inside, Uh, finding ways to get the inside-out kick, which is the highest percentage, three-point shots, Mm -hmm. those are some things we had to work
0: on. Okay. Um, I'm writing some of this down here, so, uh, what uh, do, do you feel like your your kids were ready for the challenge, or, or did it take them a while to get used to that night in night out physicality? Um, we
1: could handle most of it. The ones that were tough for us, and I don't know if these would have been any different anywhere, but we had three games during the year that were a Friday Saturday, yeah, and on uh, two of the three, we had an overtime. Game the night before on Friday, oh, there, were, there were really emotional losses. I mean, when we played Papai, and it was you know the over double overtime, you lose on a last second shot, and then earlier in the year, I think it was Millard North before we played played Millard uh, or played Lincoln Northeast, and again you lose in an overtime type game, and I thought those were really very difficult to rebound from for the team. And those we lost games on the Saturday that I thought would have been winnable games on mm-hmm. there. So those are some things that, again, it changes to be ready. But I don't know that we'll ever be at that point because I think anytime you lose an emotional game, it's tough to come back the next day and be ready to, you know, pick it up and go, especially if it's a 3 or 4 o'clock in the afternoon type game. Yeah. But uh, uh, we generally... I was pleased, you know, again, in all the games we played, there were only probably two games where I thought we were outmatched to where we got beaten double figures. I mean, there was a couple that ended up ten points when you followed at the end. Yeah. But we really we really felt we were in every game. We just didn't have the ability to close out those games. And that's probably the thing when I look at it, i trying to figure out ways to do it. Uh, we tried specials. We tried... Uh, isolation plays. We tried, you know, just uh, holding the ball. I mean, multiple different things to try to be successful in those close games, and those were the things that we uh, struggled most with uh, throughout the year. And and I again, I don't quite have a grasp on why we weren't able to overcome that. Uh, mm-hmm. There. Uh, so that's something I think we'll learn as time goes on, and, and this player players be able to handle those close games. Because mm-hmm. I know when I look back in my history of games, in Class B, you know we might have six or seven, you know, two and three point games throughout the year. Most of your games you break open, you know. And of course, we had good depth, and so we could break open games but so we'd end up 10-12 points ahead. So you didn't have that pressure down the stretch there and so you know you it made it easier and mm-hmm. you didn't play so many close games so this year it seemed like every game was right down the wire and I always kind of wonder why I watch some of the college programs you see every night it's a two or three point game for me go man how do they handle that and I guess I'm gonna have to learn
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly do you uh do you, do you feel like this move has kind of you know recharged you A little bit like it's a it's a new challenge, Uh, you know. You you played, I mean, you had my scouting report. I had your scouting report. Blow the dust off it and let's roll it out there and type of a thing. Or you know the the teams that you had in your in your conference with Norris and 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 uh, Elkhorn, let's say, or, or Blair. Um, is is in some ways kind of recharged you, refresh you a little bit. Okay, hey, here's this here's this new challenge, and and let's navigate our way through it here, and let's let's figure out how to get it done.
1: Oh, I would definitely say yes. It was uh, um, and kind of knowing going into it, I got films at the end last year from multiple Class A schools, and I just tried to watch to see what you know what would be different and that, and then when we went into the games this year. Getting the scouting report, trying to figure out ways to slow them down. And, uh, and probably, you know, the one, if I talk about one mistake I made, I spent a lot of time figuring out how to stop them. Mm -hmm. And too often in games, it came down to more of, okay, how are we going to score? We had, you know, four really pretty good three point shooters on our team on that. And so you thought that, okay, we'll be able to, you know, when you got that, it's pretty tough to stop a team. But, uh, again, getting open to get those shots was greater challenge than I anticipated. And even as the year went on, it, it, we weren't a great team for driving, kicking, uh, running uh, the offenses. We had, like I said, had some success in our flex, but really our best three point shooting came when we were able to set up an inside out pass. Mm-hmm. So the offensive aspect of it was probably the biggest challenge. and I'm already looking down the road to say, okay, how can we have that? in
0: the future. Mm -hmm. So what words, let's, let's say we have a coach listening that, and and you've, you've, you've kind of done this, but you've done it within your own program here. Uh, What would you, what words of advice would you give a coach who is, let's say they're at a, they're at a C2, C1, uh, and, and they're looking into a job at a class B or a class A school. And it's going to be a significant jump, kind of like what you guys have made uh again looking kind of back on it uh now and hindsight's always 2020, 20 drum you know that as well as i do but what what advice would you give somebody who's who's not moving up in a class with the same program but okay i'm going from a c2 school and now i'm making this jump to a class b school or something of that equivalent what you know where you know it's going to be more intense, or not more intense, they're all intense games, but the physicality, the athleticism, uh, those type of things, just because you have more athletes on the floor. um, What advice would you give uh, coaches in that situation?
1: Well, um, that's that's kind of tough to say, I mean, because there's so many different aspects. Um, I think as you move up in each level, I think you have to expect it's going to take more time. Uh, You know, this in Class A, uh, in Class B, you know, last year we had our two games a week. We played Tuesday and either Friday or Saturday, and you were pretty well set there. Your JV games were with, you know, varsity. So time-wise, you could plan on two nights a week and then, you know, one or two nights scouting. Yeah, But uh, in Class A... We had uh, reserve and JV, which would be your freshman Your JV played usually two nights a week, which were not the same nights your varsity played. And then you had your two varsity games uh, that week, and you mixed scouting in on it. And uh, it really turned into a lot more time, not only for myself, but my assistants. I mean, my assistants, I think we ended up with uh, 17 or 18 reserve games, and you count in the JV games too, that they were gone almost every night between that and varsity games. They were on, so it was a tremendous amount of time uh, doing it. And then you're still trying to watch your game film and prepare outside of that. Um, that it that does turn into uh, just just a huge amount. I, I think each level you go up, there's more time on it.
0: Yeah, um,
1: there are advantages in lower class if you're in a class c you probably have greater uh contact with your younger players uh i'm talking grade school youth program and at gretna we had that for a long time in there um, and so that's helpful but you also run into the competition of other sports uh, where kids are really pulled multiple directions so you lose some good kids that way but um the, in class a i don't know that you generally are going to have the involvement of youth program as much in that. So uh, I know a lot of the metro schools, they're not as involved in the youth program as they are in sp- summer programs where mm-hmm. they're running OSA the team or that. Yeah. Uh, and um, so those are some things I don't know. that It's just going to be different. But the biggest thing I thought was probably noticeable this year, um, in, in X's and O's, are, are X's you'll adjust, and I know it's going to take a year or two, for me to adjust in coaching to be better at that. But I thought the big thing was just a lot more time.
0: Yeah. Okay. Um, you were talking about your assistants, and, and one of your assistant coaches that you've had on staff the last few years is uh, Dave Hubert, who was a yes. longtime coach at Papillion La Vista. And I know you guys were friends for a long time uh, before that. Um, and, and and he kind of came in to be your your right hand man, so to speak, uh, how was, how was, uh, you know, sometimes we as coaches think, Oh, that'd be great to coach with Frank or Pete or Susie or Mary, uh, you know, and, and Dave's a great guy and I know he does a great job for you. Uh, but you know, was there some, you know, some adjustment with, well, Hey, before we were just BSing over the team, but now, you know, I'm, I'm making the decisions, and you're my assistant. I'm your boss, and you know, was it was there a process you kind of had to go through there um, to to make that work and, and and smooth things out there? Um,
1: oh, a little bit. The first year he was in there, um, we kind of discuss, you know, sometimes terminology, sometimes philosophy on there. And I know, and uh, their end of the year talking players, they thought, well, you guys kind of argued a lot and I says no it really wasn't we were discussing you know just different things like okay we, most important aspect of defense what you know what you want to do there and we'd go, go kind of go back and forth and, and working out that um the one thing you know Dave uh kind of handles our defense I've turned that over to him and so and I take the offense and then uh between there we kind of work together um uh, Dave does a great job with the interpersonal, some of the interpersonal aspects of kids kind of communicating with them. Uh, he does a great job in coaching the defense. And so it's kind of nice where you just turn that over to him okay. and I can become more of an observer. And yet when we're talking, like we're watching film or something like that, we'll discuss it. You know, okay, what do you think? How are we going to stop this player? What are we going to try to do in this game? Mm-hmm. And there. And so, by dividing it up that way, we've avoided most, you know, most of the conflicts. I think you would have there. And Dave's been great. I mean, it's been real, real strong support, uh, real positive. And, and um, uh, I think some of the things he did probably didn't practice. I, you know, I'm sure I do differently. And, and I, yet, he's accepted those and been really great that way. And, and he's been certainly a big asset. Where he coached in Class A for so long, um, he has been. Tremendous asset in knowing what to do in Class A. Um, now, unfortunately, some of the athletes he had a Papillion, that were <laughs> major Division One. He, you know, he
0: had um, uh, some players that you know went to
1: big Division One colleges after they left. We haven't had that, so it makes it a little different when he talks about. I use this player, or this player was able to do this. I go, yeah, I don't see that player on our team. <laughs> just,
0: exactly. Exactly. Yeah.
1: But he's done because he yeah, had, I think, the Rory sisters
0: went yeah. through there, and uh, I think was, he played Michigan State or somewhere. I mean, just tremendous athletes, and, mm-hmm. and uh, so so. But those are
1: things that um, his like scouting and ability uh, to break down those teams and do it has really been helpful. Mm-hmm. And preparing our players, I think he's done a lot of things to get our players defensively. To be more ready for the Class A, I thought we did a good job of stopping a lot of the dribble drive stuff that people threw at us this year. And so uh, those have certainly been
0: assets he's brought to our program. And you, you've – one of the things that I've really admired about your program, I think your program and my program were a lot alike, was uh, just very good assistant coaches and, and not a lot of staff turnover. I mean, you, you know, uh, Swanson and um, uh, Jeff uh, – uh, that was Han. Jeff Han, yes, yes. I I saw his face plain as day. Uh, you know, he was with you for forever, just like I had. You know, Jeff Ritz and Jerry graville and and Sarah Goodwin for for a long time and quality people. And just you know, how important uh, Jerome is it to to have those loyal assistants, and how important is it to treat them well to make sure that they stay with the program. Well, I think anything you
1: see, you can have those assistant coaches that will staying there they kind of learn what you expect and that every year the coach is with your program they can bring a little bit more to it and uh when Han was here he was the equivalent of a head coach I mean it was kind of you know I could have turned anything over to him at any time and his last year I think he was he was coaching the defense he was calling out of bounds plays and he was taking care of subbing Wow. So you almost wonder, okay, what was I doing? <laughs> but it just let me coach the game on there, and uh, that's one of the things. But you know, we just knew each other so well, we could take care of do things that way. Um, so yeah, every year you have an assistant coach. It just gives you that that much more of their buy in of the kids understanding what they're asking, and uh, the overall building of the program. I think it makes a huge difference.
0: How important is it? And I and I had this with with Jeff Ritz, um, how important is it to have somebody on staff that is a former long-time assist, or a head coach, excuse me, that knows exactly what you're going through? Um, that knows, because you can say if, if you've been an assistant coach but you've never been a head coach, well, yeah, I, I, I understand what you're saying. I, no, you, you really don't. I mean, I know you're trying to say that, but you don't really know until you go through it, how how valuable has that been for you to have somebody like Dave, who has been through the the ups and downs and the emotions of it, and dealing with all the things behind the scenes and in in front of the scenes and so forth and so on? Uh, how, how has that benefited? You know, is that is that another way that he's benefited you and the program?
1: Oh, I think so. I mean, it's one of those things where he loses as much sleep as I do in the close losses and that. Whereas sometimes you know a JV coach they're done and, you know, and they're kind of joking on the way, bus ride backwards, you're just mulling it over and that um, that's one of the things that I think being a head coach they kind of recognize that. Uh, the interpersonal ability where just communicating with kids, recognizing you know things that you have to address uh, ahead of time it brings, they can bring that to the program or to the table there and help out um, there's just so many things that they see and, and they're um, willingness to address or to take over any aspect of practice. You know, you can throw anything at them. Say, okay, here's what we got, and they they have that experience of what they had to use in their previous program. They, then you can have really, I think, in depth discussions about, you know, okay, what you do to stop this, Well we did this and this to stop it. There, okay, what do we have to try to stop in our program or to try to address it, and so. Uh I think that's good. And you know, some days some days you can kind of listen, well they took this approach
0: to it. I'll look over at what I did See, Yeah, I could have done that better. So yep. very helpful. Yep. All right. Well hey, we're gonna pivot a little bit here, Jerome. Uh, we're gonna jump into our Don Meyer quote of the day. Uh we do this about halfway ish through uh the podcast. So um here is uh, the Don Meyer quote of the day, and as a small town guy, I know you'll appreciate this one here. If a farmer and his family can get up at five thirty every morning to milk cows, surely we can get up at that time to practice basketball.
1: <laughs> There's a lot of truth to that, and uh, there, and uh, um, you know, it's. Uh, I always thought one of the turning points I had at uh, Gretna was getting girls to come in this summer was difficult my first few years and then uh, I don't know which I could go back and mark a year on it but uh, one year I says okay we're going to change this we're going to practice every morning and so instead of open gym I called it practice but it, I still couldn't require to be there so unbeknownst to them it was still an open gym but I says okay we're going at 5 a.m in the morning and the girl says what we can't go at five I says, hey everybody's got to be there at 5 a.m none of you have any conflicts I know that for a fact none of you have any conflict and they says yeah but we don't need to be there okay what time do you need to be there well we could go at seven as can everybody be there at seven you have to guarantee me and yeah we can go at seven and so that and we started the first day and Everybody on the team was there at 7 a.m. in the morning, and uh, all of a sudden that just changed the whole deal. When you had everybody there working out, you know, for that month of June in the gym, going through things, and uh, it was a big turning point in your program. Uh, but I kind of took that mentality of same thing. Sometimes there's a lot of excuses not to be there, and uh, there's no excuse not to get up and milk those cows. I went through that. I grew up on a, a ranch and farm where I had to get milk cows, so. I understand that analogy very well.
0: <laughs> and you would would have much rather been shooting hoops than milking cows at five thirty in the morning. <laughs> I, I would assume. I don't I don't want to assume too much, Jerome. But that's that's my guess anyway. I, you're
1: exactly right.
0: You're yeah. Exactly right. Yeah. Uh, one of my uh, high school buddies. Um, he's had an extremely successful program in Iowa, uh, Dick Junger. So he was on one of my early pods, but uh, his dad was a hog farmer. And, and every once in a while I would go out there and, and help him and uh, his twin brother Dave and and their brother Robert and we'd you know slop the hogs and do all that stuff and you know bust your butt for an hour and a half but I always got a nice steak out of the deal so it was it was it was well worth the trip out there so um, well let's uh, let's go with the summer stuff here you brought up the summer commitment and that's one of the things uh, you've been very gracious to let me come out there a couple of times and check your stuff out Um you know, and and I think one of the big keys to your success has been your summer program and the way you get kids in the gym and and you know along with that, I want to talk about all the shooting that you guys do because it, it seems like every year you just have a lot of kids that can really shoot the basketball. So, uh, so don't but don't jump into the shooting yet. I want to talk about just the overall plan first, and then we'll get into the shooting. But uh, how do you guys lay out your summer? Um, you know, how are, you know, I, I saw some things on your walls, uh, about, you know, signups and contests and things like that, that you run during your open gyms and things like that. So for, for our listeners, just how, how do you get that high level of participation going, um, you know, within your program? Well, it's one of those
1: things that it's an expectation. It's not just an expectation from me, it's an expectation of the players, uh, for each other. And as and truth, I think that has as much to do with it as anything is, you know, a coach can put a lot out there and really try to push. But when you have players who set that expectation for each other, then I, I think that really sets the tempo for it. And, and we've been fortunate that we've had players who feel it's important and they're willing to put in time so when young players come in they see that, and they just think that's the way to be. And we tie it to our morning weightlifting. So you get the weightlifting done, you get the time, uh, gym time done, and you're uh, spend time. Then you know, after, outside of that, um, and then I've always had a you know philosophy that I, I tell them. Is that a lot of times, the players have club coaches in in the soccer, all Those club coaches. You, you have to show up for the club practices. you go through, and they make them better. Well, in basketball, especially at Gretna, we haven't had tremendous club participation. We've had some, mm-hmm. and it's gotten a little bit more. But I always told them, I says, we don't have a club that's going to make you better, so you have to be willing to work at it. And I said, I feel that that's probably a more important um, uh more important to you in my mind, if you learn to work hard on your own when nobody's watching you, you're gonna be more successful when you leave our program to go to college, regardless whether it's a basketball or not. You've developed that work ethic where you've pushed yourself. And so I preach that a lot of you know, understanding that, you know, it's you know, you've heard for it's what you do when nobody's watching yep. that makes you successful. And so that's one of the things that we try to get in there. But then after down the weightlifting, I go take care of my technology stuff. And a lot of times, you know, we'll have girls that'll stay and shoot for an hour or in some cases, two or three hours uh, in the gym, just working at getting better when, again, nobody's watching. And uh, that's, I think, the biggest key to the success of those athletes is they had
0: that desire to get better. Explain to our listeners your uh, your summer four-on-four league and kind of the impetus for that and and what it does for, for kids. I loved bringing my feeder teams over there in the summer. I thought it was a great idea. Um, you know, just kind of, you know, if somebody wants to develop a summer program or, or a summer league like that for themselves, you know, you know, just a, a, a semi-brief explanation, but go into enough detail that, so that folks understand what, uh, what, what all goes into it? Okay.
1: Um, yeah, uh, I started this probably going on 10 years ago uh, for grades four through nine uh, because it seemed like the high school kids, we were doing enough with them. I didn't feel like I needed to include them in this uh, deal. But fourth grade through ninth grade, and uh, you come in and, and play a 30-minute game. It's two uh, 12-minute halves, uh, and it's just four-on-four. Four. Uh, you have four to six players on each team, and at first they look at it and say, okay, it's only half hour, we want more, but when they come in the summer and they get done fast-paced, up and down, uh, facing the basket, because you, know, you really don't have a post-play in this type of deal, so it's four-out type deal, attacking the basket, and uh, it's just, again, very fast-paced, up and down the court, everybody handles the ball, it really leads into a lot of today's style of ball Mm -hmm. that uh, your players see and uh so we uh come in and and sometimes teams will play one game a day once in a while they'll have a double header where they play and uh it's it's again been very popular to where we'll get 100 plus teams coming in there on a friday and uh playing and it's kind of nice good friday because it kind of misses out a lot of the weekend competitions of softball and uh soccer tournaments that they would be facing and, and so that works out well and um like I said I think it's been something that's certainly helped as far as players it's been exciting and the parents like it because you come in in 30 minutes you're done you're head you're back out there so it doesn't take the whole day yeah. on there and uh, so it's, it's been a good program and, and uh, like I said one that I think kids have really enjoyed. Um, I actually got it from the Norfolk Community College. They used to run it up there. We used to go up there summer camp. And He always told me how how great it was. And and, uh, the surprising thing, I talked a little bit about the offense, but one of the surprising things about it is you'll see a team go out and play the first time and they're giving up layup after layup because they just don't understand how to rotate and do those things and by the time they've played two or three games also defensively without really any coaching they're rotating they're you know it's really a shell drill type game defensively and so it's one of the best things i think we've found to really develop good shell drill or defensive techniques because if they don't help each other out you know teams get layups on them all the time and so that's one of the areas i've told parents i've been most pleased about is it really does teach them a lot about defense without ever preaching it
0: on there so yeah um i i think i'm going to go the opposite direction i think the the best benefit of it um is the kids have to play without plays um you know they they have to play without plays you know the coach isn't over there and i know i'm just as guilty of it as anybody hey we're gonna run utah too or whatever it might be you know um you know they, there's no play to lean on you've got to make a play and i think that's a, a, a real benefit of it as well especially with girls in 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 my eyes you know i mean you know i like that um you know a couple of times i went over there and i I'd, I'd have my feeder teams that i'd be coaching against someone and they'd be hollering out you like, oh, know kansas duke you know flipper niner and I'm like, you got plays for four on four league? Are you are are you crazy, dude? You know, yeah. and uh, but I thought that I I really like that part of it is that the kids had to make plays instead of the coach calling plays, and I think that was a huge benefit of it as well. Don't you think? I agree
1: definitely because yeah, it's it's one of those things where a lot of teams don't even have a coach there, and so their kids are just learning to play basketball like they used to do in the driveways. Now they're doing it where they're they're just out there playing, and they're finding ways. They're working together, finding ways to make each other better and be successful. And, and so, yeah, they, it, it's nice when you go through that, and in that five weeks you run it, you see so much improvement from teams uh, getting better you know, throughout the time. So that's always nice to see as a coach.
0: Yep. So let's jump into the shooting stuff here. Um, one thing that was always difficult to, to for me when I was playing against your teams is Having to get out on shooters, it just felt like, you know, we spent so much time, you know, the couple of days getting ready before we played you guys, you know, rotating on shooters and making sure we were trying to get kids to go off the bounce and and try to, but it was difficult, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty easy to guard a team when they only have one shooter, but it seemed like every year you guys had... Three or four kids that could really shoot it in your starting lineup, and then you'd bring in a couple of kids off the bench that could really shoot it. You know, what are you know other than the obvious, the kids are putting in the time, but what are some some drills that you guys have ran to really help your shooters become better shooters? Well, I've always been
1: kind of an offensive-minded coach in that sense, and um, the first thing I do is I give really give every player the opportunity to shoot the ball in the game. I've always. I tell them, you know, I'm not going to say, okay, your role is to be a defender or a passer, but especially girls, I've never felt I need to, because they figure that out pretty quick themselves, but you're coming in. The expectation is you will be able to score because basketball is a lot more fun when you can be a scorer on that. So that's one of the things we've kind of had as a philosophy and a, Remember when I came into Gretna right at the beginning? That was one of the first things that I changed because they kind of had specific roles of who was the rebound, who was going to do the scoring. I just opened it up that you know. But along with that, I pretty much well established we want everybody's going to be a shooter. But if you don't ever practice shooting, you know, you haven't earned the right to be that shooter. Mm-hmm. And so it opens it up that you know, okay, if I put in the time. I'm, I'm going to be okay shooting the ball. And uh, about the only time I ever question shots is if we're you know, late in the game, end of a quarter, end of a half, then we want you know, the the, per, the best person in the game. Will, a lot of times when we work on late-game situations, we'll address it as, okay, who on your team do you want to take this shot at the end of the game and how are you going to help get that shot? So the players, again, start to understand right away, they look around and you know, and you'll have a five will puddle up, and I say, "Okay, who do you want to get the shot?" And they'll all point to the one girl. Okay, how are you going to help her get a shot? And that, so that's they start to understand that, but they they have the responsibility. So when you have that, uh, I think it motivates them to spend more time and to be more serious uh, on working on the shooting. And then we do a lot of shooting in practice. Uh, that's one of the things you know. Um, uh, indifference with some coaches I've talked about with the amount of time they'll spend defensively on that, we do spend a lot of time shooting mm-hmm. and uh, I think that helps us. And a lot of it's competitive shooting. I know Connie Yori had some great shooting drills over the years that we took from there but you just pick them up you know, in different ways to challenge them, to focus on it more, to spend a little more time shooting and uh, we've been very fortunate that yeah, we've had girls step up and be good scorers for us over the years and it's kind of funny because um, I don't know that I can't it's been a long time since we've had a girl average over probably 13 14 points a game. Mm-hmm. but we usually have four or five girls that are somewhere between seven to 11 points per game somewhere in there and that's what you're talking about that that creates a challenge for a team to stop you when you can have
0: multiple players that they have to respect. Except for Maddie Meadows or, you know, Mary Janovich when she plays against Scott, you know, then they go off for 20 and 25 and stuff. So it's okay. I'm well, not. We I, do give that up, to you. If you're playing
1: against Scott, it's
0: okay to go off the board. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. I appreciate that very much. So, um,. What are what are a couple of your uh, favorite shooting drills? What, you know, what what's two drills that if you walk into a Gretna practice, you've got a good chance of seeing that day in practice.
1: Um, we usually do something full court uh, in transition where you're shooting uh, threes and twos, ones. We'll do something, you know, three man rush up and down the court, and uh, you'll be uh, have you know three people at the other end, two balls being passed in, and they have uh oh three minutes to scored 90 points and if you pick a three you get three points the two is uh, a 15 footers two and the layup is one and uh, that always tells me a lot because if you have players who are settling for ones and twos it tells uh, they're going to shoot threes in a game it tells you a little bit about their confidence okay I'm doing this because I don't want to have to run. I don't have enough confidence in my three-point shooting. To, if we don't score 90 points in the three minutes, I'm going to have to run so I'm going to shoot easier shots, whereas you get the players who have confidence, they're coming down and pulling up for the three and knocking them down on a consistent basis. So that's a drill I like. Um, we'll have uh, drills where you. I love shooting with a partner and uh, one we did just at the end of this year with the players and it's again one of the things they do on their own but you have a partner and and uh, you set the clock for 10 minutes or whatever, Then this would be after practice over, but you and your partner shoot, and you see, okay, how long is it going to take us to get uh, 50 threes or 100 threes in there? And it just get. I don't set the number for them, uh, you know, that, uh, but you can tell, you know, some players, okay, we're going to shoot 25 threes. Well, we had some at the end of the year, in basically four minutes, they'd make 25 threes between the two of them and they'd be done mm-hmm. but you also had those that we're going to do 100 well now you know again that dedication that it's going to take to do 100 means more and so they're a lot more serious about it and tells a little bit more about their commitment to being a good shooter and uh, um, for, you know and that probably takes them 15-20 minutes at the end of practice to get that 100 in there uh, but again it tells you a lot about them so those are a couple of drills I really like it's just um yeah, you know, I think we, we as a coach can get a lot out of the players can also
0: get a lot out of it sounds like to me that by by doing things in that way you you are able to evaluate a lot about the mindset of your shooters without having to say a whole lot
1: I would definitely agree you know it it shows and you know that you've had players who spend a lot of time shooting outside of practice and it just tells you it's important to them it's something they want to be good at and you'll have other players who you know practice over and uh 30 seconds later they're out the door and yet when the game comes around they want to be a person shooting well it doesn't always work that way now we've had a few that could do that but it's pretty rare
0: yeah the
1: ones that have been shooters for us over the years have been ones that you know, practice is over and they grab the ball and they go shoot for another 15 minutes, whether it's working on free throws, working on three-point shots, on that. And probably the only thing I really do emphasize in the whole thing is, you know, you shooting is good, but having a partner shooting with you is even better. And uh, so that way they're just,
0: you know, always bringing another player along with them. Yeah, exactly. Um, three more things I want to talk about with you, all right? Uh, let's, uh, let's transition from offense to kind of something between offense and defense. One of the things uh, that, that I always thought about your kids, and I think you thought the same uh, about a lot of my kids, you know, um, toughness that, that you, you, you got some tough kids, you know, um, you know, is there a way to teach toughness? Are there some things that you do within your program to teach you know, mental and physical toughness to to get them uh, to to accept the challenge of, of playing Gretna basketball, that type of thing. Um, I, I just you know that's one of the things I always respect when I watched your teams and still watch them is you you usually have some pretty tough kids within your system. And so, how do you develop that within your program? I think
1: our whole practice is kind of built around intensity and toughness. You know, we start off and we'll you know, come out, we'll do some uh, full-court type of uh, transition or some stations to start to get them moving for 10, 15 minutes, and then we do a full-court uh, running-type, passing-type drill that runs another 10 minutes, and then you'll do a, uh, a fast-break drill that's another 10 minutes on there, and, and you'll do maybe uh, one other drill that might be a uh, progressive-type, press-type drill, or something. and uh, about 30, 40 minutes of just running really hard and shooting a lot in there and that and um it's hard and uh, to start off practice with that hard approach i think really uh starts to make them mentally tough and when you can push through that uh you're not only conditioned but you're you know you you've hurt a little bit and you've you know been challenged by your other teammates I think that's, that's the only thing we do. I don't think I have any magic uh, ideas or deals as far as making players tougher. Um, I do know that when it's important, there's more fight in them, on that to them. That's, again, something that helps a lot, but I think a lot of it is just um, that you, know, you set that tone in practice, uh, to be aggressive, to get after it, and do that. And I think that carries
0: over to how you play in games. Well, I think you hit the nail on the head, though. It's hard. You know, yes. if basketball is a hard sport to play. And if you are doing it correctly, it's not going to be easy. It's actually going to be pretty doggone difficult. And I think you establish that in practice so that you are ready to be tougher than the other guy during games. You know, um, that that's that's kind of what I'm hearing, you know, from you. you know, I would agree. Okay. Um, how about teaching the run and jump? You know, when, you know, you decided to make that switch to really extending that pressure out, uh, about the time I became the head coach. Um, and, and I, you, you had better athletes, uh, at that point than you had had in the three or four years before then. Um, but what, uh, what was the impetus with that? You know, obviously you thought it was something that was going to work, but uh, how did you implement that? How did you establish that aggressive pressure full-court defensive style and teaching that run and jump, which I think is i think it's the best press you can run, but it's also the most difficult one to teach? Yeah, it's tough because it requires so much confidence in your teammates
1: to cover for you, and, and uh, we had at that point – some athletes coming through. I've changed the presses depending on the athletes that we have coming through. When we had taller athletes, we did a little bit more half-court trap because you you didn't have as much far to recover to do it and that. But when we had the faster athletes there, then doing the full court running jump was much more effective. And we had the depth to do it to where we could run. You know, for I could run. 9, 10, 11 players in there. And that was one of the things I always liked to do in a game was play more players. And so it really fit what I wanted to do there. Um, We started off, you know, pretty simple with a basically uh, uh, two-on-two type deal uh, where you, you know, just get the ball in. And, uh, you know, pretty basic philosophies. I did some with, you know, between Gene Steinmeier back, then and Uh now Drew Olson over at um, Concordia and I really like what Drew's done over there with his Uh, it's just we have not been as successful getting it in but I don't know that we will in Class A be as successful just because uh, again their guards are so good at handling the ball and that but um, we're still trying to incorporate it but um, you uh, you just you wait till they, when the player can't see you or turns their head away from you, that's when you leave your player. Mm-hmm. Uh, and They turn their back on you, you leave your player and you, and you're going to chase. And, but then somebody has to recognize that you're chasing and fill for you. And just the rotation, that's the toughest thing to get across. Uh, that is, and it takes so much confidence in your teammates to be able to do it. So, um, and we, we've had some good success with it. Uh, other times, you know, we've had to move away from it for a little bit where we were you know, uh, different personnel on that. But, um, yeah, it, it, I, I agree with you. I think it's the toughest press to break and to be learned. In fact, the team that took us out of, you know, infinity any, ended our season this year in Lincoln Southwest, they were very successful in their run and jump and made it very difficult where they could get us in trouble uh, there, and we we uh handled it pretty good but at times they would catch us and it was just enough to make a difference
0: yeah yeah it's a, interesting you, you bring up stein when when we were at briar cliff you know mike you know was very open about how much he copied what gene did with the run and jump and and that's where i really learned a lot of the principles of it as well and how to teach it and how to, how to, how to put it out there. And, and so, uh, you know, Steinmeier had such a, uh, an influence on the coaches in the region because he was so successful with that, with that system there. And, and then, and and Drew's kind of ran with it as well. No pun intended. So, yeah, definitely. Yes. So, um, um, all right. The Niobrara trip and, where did that come from? Uh, kind of explain it to our listeners, and then you know how important is that to the building of your of your culture of your program of the chemistry of the camaraderie um, you know kind of what do, what do you guys all do with that uh, for for our listeners
1: Well that started way back in about two thousand. Maybe even a little earlier than that, we were. We went up to Norfolk to a team camp, and at that time, and the Norfolk team camp, you had um, teams that were just amazingly strong. We our team went through, and I think in oh probably eleven or twelve games, we may have gotten to ten points one time. We got so we got beat by an average of probably 35, 36 to six. <laughs> and uh, and uh, he used to have the coaches officiate, and you'd have like Bob Sensor from Battle Creek, who's a great guy, and great coach, but he didn't ever call anything because he wanted the toughness of his players, and you had Kelly Flynn up there at that time, and you had coaches like that that were just, you know, it was was never going to be Well, but it was so aggressive, and I remember I still laugh at the two guards I had in our last game. They, they, I, they're they sitting on the bench. They say, okay, you guys go in. They just shook their head. No, we've had enough. <laughs> and so We're driving home, and I'm looking in the mirror in the van, and I just see this group of dejected players that are just, you know, just done. Yeah. And I sat there, and I was trying to think of, okay, what can we do? And I thought uh, a few years before I was at Fort Calhoun, I went on a senior trip with them where they went up to the Nibera, and I thought, hey, girls, would you like to do this? and uh, they said yeah that'd be kind of fun so the next year we take off and we went up to norfolk we uh played and did kind of say you know did a little bit better but that and then we went to atkins where i grew up and spent the
0: night and um it was kind of a deal where did you, you know, have them get up and milk the cows
1: nope nope we nope. were in town
0: okay all <laughs> yeah, right but,
1: um yeah, so we they they went walking around town and it's always kind of funny every year they've kind of found different entertainment. Uh, one night there one night we were there they found a, car, a road rally where all these cars were going through and I have a uh, my brother's in laws uh, own a mortuary and the one kid was driving around in a hearse. So all of a sudden here come all the girls <laughs> riding in the hearse. I mean it's just always something that they find entertainment. But uh, so. It, after that first year, all of a sudden, instead of just ten girls who wanted to go, we had fifteen girls who wanted to go, and that was twenty, and it just grew to where now they're asking me when basketball gets over. They want that date blocked so they know they go up. And then we used to tube our canoe on the Niber, and now you know they should pay for suntanless because they just go up there and they put on the tubes or get on the tubes. They'll hook five or six of them together, and they just have a great time I and mean, they'll be they entertain themselves and they float down the river and uh we get out and, and we've been fortunate i think in, in all those years which be going to 20 years i think we've had one year where we got rained out where it was cold mm-hmm. so it's always been a fun deal uh, it just kind of takes care of itself and uh but it does start the year off you know with everybody wanting to do it and uh you know and, and we really don't do a lot of team building. They're all together, you know. Half the time, they're all sleeping in my brother's family's basement, or they get a motel rooms up there, and they do that. So they're, um, and uh, it's always been a fun thing for them to do. So it starts this summer off right away with a great activity that pulls them all together and, and uh, gets us going in the right direction right from the beginning.
0: And it's kind of a basketball activity, but there's no basketball involved. Well, we do play in a team camp because oh, we still yeah, have, we played yeah, we still got
1: we play in the Norfolk team camp. Uh, Norfolk High took it over; it went from the community college to Norfolk Catholic, running it now. Norfolk High runs it, so you get five or six teams. You go up there, you play two or three games, and then mm-hmm. um, then go up, really take off. Like I said, go up to Atkinson and, and uh, see what adventures
0: wait for us. Do you do you think it's kind of one of those deals? You you talked about your brother, and it's and it's your you know going up to Atkinson, your hometown. And um, do you think it's something where uh, it kind of gives your players a little bit of a a background on you? This is the way I grew up. This is the environment I grew up. You know, it it helps a little bit with the connection between coach and player a little bit as well.
1: It could have. I mean, it's one of those things hard to put your finger on what makes it go, other than the fact that. Like I said, it's something they enjoy, uh, you know. And, and the thing I like about it is very few kids from here when I took them up the first time. They'd never seen that beautiful part of the country. Yeah. When you get up from Valentine, Library and you see you go drive, you say, "Wow, this this is Nebraska!" And uh, so that's one of the things I think is is kind of fun to see that and do it. Um, What the attraction is for the players? Again, I, I don't think I could put a you know figure on what that is it just has been something that's been you know very popular and worked well for us over the years
0: well i'm still waiting on my invitation and i promise i won't wear a speedo so <laughs> i was going to bring that up <laughs> <laughs> hey you know the 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 one uh, the one positive uh, if there is a positive of our current situation is it's, it's given me time to get back on the elliptical and get some consistent exercise in you know uh that type of thing so you know i'm i'm i'm, I'm working on the the beach bod a little bit for 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 a middle-aged guy i'm i'm working with what i got so good good yeah year. yeah I, I know you're very concerned about my beach body jerome I, I i can tell you that right now so uh how uh last last question and i and and i got a pretty good idea of what you're gonna say here but uh yeah, how much longer do you see yourself going here? You know, I, I, you, you've told me it's, it's, it's as long as I'm enjoying it, I want to keep going as long as I can, and I'm guessing that's probably what you're going to say.
1: Well, yeah, it's kind of a year-to-year type deal. I, um, yeah, you know, I, I love working outside. We live on the small acreage, and I love working outside in the spring and summer and fall. Uh, during the winter, uh, I don't know what I would do. I think I'd be a little stir crazy to be not be able to be outside doing something or, you know, doing something active. And so I'm in no rush to get out. Um, It may be a deal where, um, you know, may decide another year that I've had enough Mm -hmm. or that, or I I truthfully think I can keep coaching for a long time on that. But I know, you know, my wife's retired and and she would like to do some things where we travel a bit more. And um, and so that's kind of one of the things that, you know, we have a goal or, We'd like to be able to do so. That kind of leads into it a little bit. So I, I'll just see. Who knows where this world is headed right now? And, and uh, but it's something I certainly have kind of played with the idea that um, I know my time is probably you know growing shorter rather than getting longer. So, um, I, uh, but. Mm-hmm. I'm enjoying it right now, and it's certainly been a great experience being around the young kids. I just see that you know you get so much energy from them, so much uh, that when I see them work, that about improvement mm-hmm. and those things, you really enjoy it. And so that's one of the things that I, I I don't know where I'd
0: replace that. Yeah. Well, I think you should stay in it as long as you feel comfortable with it. You know, you you're you're a great ambassador to the game. You're uh, a, a classy guy. We had so many uh, head-to-head battles, and and you got me a few times. I got you a few times. And uh, but I, you know, I think we always we, we both knew that we were going to get the the most out of one another. And it was it was going to be a tough, hard-fought game, um, no matter what our records were. And 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 you know, it was kind of like with 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 you and with with Kelly. You know, we. We'd get really intense with each other for about ninety minutes, and then we'd be able to walk away from it. And, and twenty minutes after the game, we'd be able to start BSing and just kind of hanging out, regardless of of who won or who lost. And so I, I always respected that about you, and I think you've just done a hell of a job, my friend. And and you keep climbing up that that uh, winners list there. Uh, you know, Ken Cook needs a little bit of. A, I know Cook. I know cookies on top. Uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, John Larson may pass may have passed him this year. Oh, okay. It's close,
1: so, and I know. I think John may have got him this year. I think it, it's awful close anyway. And John's going to stick with them another year, and they've got some stuff down. So, John's going to be the person who's probably going to take over on that. And, uh, and there's still some other coaches in there, but you know, it, it's one of those things I just never worried about because there were coaches um, that have done, you know, been so successful that's you know, just uh, that wasn't the reason I got into it. Was sure. to, you know, set the deals. Uh, I would rather have you know teams do well than worry about what my record would be in there. So
0: yeah. Oh, I know, and that's why, and that's why you have the numbers that you have. You you end up with those numbers when you don't worry about those numbers. And and that's the that's that's a big reason for your success. I firmly believe that. So, Jerome Skirdla from from Gretna High School. Jerome, thanks so much for for coming on the pod here tonight. I, I appreciate your time. I know you're you're busy with uh, with everything that's going on at the school there. So I'm truly truly grateful for for you taking the time out to talk to me here this evening. So, um, if you hold on to the phone here in just a second, I got to wrap up a couple things and we'll we'll roll from there. So, okay, sounds good, buddy. Um. We want to thank again COSAC Chiropractic for uh, sponsoring the pod. Uh, again, if you're in need of, of services here in Omaha, don't hesitate to call Dr. Kevin or Dr. Heidi, 402-964-0300. Follow us on Twitter, a pen and a napkin. Um, download, rate, and review the pod. Obviously, like I said, if you're listening on, on SoundCloud or iTunes, um, you're you know, push this out. And of course email us. Questions, comments, suggestions, ideas. Uh, a pen and a napkin at gmail.com coaches not only do i want you to hone your craft one day at a time but i do want you to stay safe uh let's do things the right way let's let's try to move on during our, our current situation as quickly as we can let's get through our new normal so we can get back to our old normal as soon as we can but although we want that we still want you to hone your craft one day